The Carter Report believes that God is truly reliable. He is not fickle or flaky. He is steadfast and true. His love endures forever. The members of the Carter Report team, with John and Beverly Carter, have spent 60 wonderful years in the ministry of the Gospel of Christ. John Carter's life was changed forever by a divine encounter at Avondale College in Australia. And a few weeks ago, he sought God in prayer for a new anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, as he reflects on the past, he looks ahead in confidence. Please join us for a very special once-in-a-lifetime presentation, Looking Back, Looking Ahead. I'm so glad to see you today and to welcome you. And I want to say thank you to Wayne, who is the host of this program. Beverly and I can say today, it's been an exciting ride. We've seen the great power of God. As we look back over the years, we say, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. We testify today that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and that he is faithful. We're just so grateful. We're grateful to God and we're also thankful to you. When did your walk with God commence? Well, I guess I was just a silly teenager. <laughs> uh, I was a bit of a wild teenager. People would say that's very hard to imagine. Quite frankly, right now, it's hard for me to remember. <laughs> uh, but when I was a teenager growing up in Brisbane, Australia, I was a very turbulent, I had a turbulent experience. I felt terribly empty inside. I just didn't know what life was all about, but I was searching and I was seeking. Then when I was 16 years of age, I left my home in Brisbane and I traveled a thousand miles north, uh, up into North Queensland and I drove a bulldozer. Now we've got a picture of a bulldozer behind me, but that's the best we could do. But my bulldozer was bigger and better. <laughs> it was, I don't know if anybody, any, any farmers are watching today, but do you remember the Oliver Cleetrack? I drove an Oliver Cleetrack. It was a double DH. I went up there to earn my fees because I felt a calling to go to college. Now, I didn't know God, but God knew me. And in my soul, I felt a calling to follow God. Hard to believe because I was a worldly young person, a thousand miles it appeared from God and a thousand miles from home, 16 years of age, but I felt the hand of God upon me. 
How did you come to Christ? Was it a powerful experience? Well, we're going to go back long day, long time. <laughs> we're going to go back to ancient history. The year was 1956. That's before most of you folks were even born. <laughs> I got on a train. I'd raised up, got my fees from working up in North Queensland. And I traveled down to a little town by the name of Morissette. I got off the train at Morissette. It seemed to be the end of the world. <laughs> I got a little bus and I went to a place called Avondale College. It was only just a little college in those days. Pardon my saying it, it still is. <laughs> but it's not the size, it's the power of God that resides in the place. I got a job working on the college farm. Uh, this may seem impossible because I don't know how I did it. I was put in charge of a big old horse by the name of, of Thunder that used to drag the milk cart around the village at Kurenbong. Uh, it used to be so cold in winter. I was searching, but I hadn't found God. But then somebody found me, a person at Avondale College who was a senior. I was a junior beyond less than junior. His name was Tom Ludowisi. And Tom Ludowisi started to disciple me. And Tom took me under his arm, under his wing, and he started to talk to me about the love of God. He told me that I was special and that God had a plan for my life. I went into the college chapel for a week of prayer and I heard a preacher preach on the God-filled blank. He said, inside every person, there is a blank. He said, you're empty inside and you are made this way and only God can fill that blank. I gave my life to Christ. I want to tell everybody this. I gave my life to Christ and I felt the power of God. I remember one night, Tom, and a few of us were out under the trees near the college chapel. Tremendous storm was coming up and I prayed a boyish prayer. I was 16 years of age. And I prayed, God, if you can see me and if you love me, Help us to get back to the dormitory before the storm breaks. And we ran to the dormitory and as we ran through the door, the rain came down behind us. Just a simple little thing. I believed, still do, that God answered the prayer of a poor, lonely, lost boy. And after this, it was a new day. Hard to describe this unless you know what I'm talking about. Everybody seemed nicer. The sun was stronger and clearer. The sky was bluer. The birds were even singing on a higher note. I was overwhelmed by the great truth that Christ had died for me. 
that I was special in the sight of God like you're special in the sight of God too. That was a new day. I've never gotten over it. I don't expect I ever will. Did you feel a calling to the ministry? Even when I was a a worldly, lost young person growing up in Brisbane, I felt a calling to the ministry. My mother later told me she was not a person that went to church. She was the opposite of a churchy person. But after I was just a, a few weeks old, she got down on her knees and held me up and dedicated me to God and the work of the ministry. I felt a calling from God. I believe I heard the voice of God. I'm going to turn, and it'd be nice if you had your Bible and if you turn with me, and I'm going to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 1 and um, verse 15. Dear hearts and gentle people, here it goes. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. If you don't have that calling, you may be employed by the church, but unless you have the divine calling, you're never going to be used by God. I felt the hand of God. I testify today that Jesus lives and he is still calling people. What do you mean by evangelism? Today in the church, it receives much opposition. Do you believe evangelism is still relevant? I I sort of find it hard to understand the opposition to, to evangelism. Evangelism comes from the Greek word that means good news. It means preaching the good news. We call it the gospel. The gospel, in spite of a billion sermons to the contrary, is not good advice. The gospel is good news. It is the preaching of the love of God and the preaching of the cross of Christ, that Christ died for us. It mystifies me why people don't believe in evangelism. Now, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 Paul says these words. He was the greatest of preachers and the greatest of evangelists. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. The gospel is the mighty power of God. And when a person has received from God the divine anointing. And when he is called to preach, he can be guaranteed that tremendous things are going to happen. Here's another text. Going to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. You know, I have used this old Bible around the world, especially in Russia and Ukraine and in Latin America. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 
18 says these words. Listen. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now listen to me. I've got something to tell you. I want to talk today to all the skeptics in the church. I want to talk to all those people who say it can't happen. Now, when you talk like that, there's one thing that's going to happen. You won't be able to do it because you won't receive the power of God. But the Apostle Paul said the the gospel itself is the dunamis, the very power of God for the salvation of men and women. Now, I can testify, I've seen this power in the church. I've seen this power in the world. I know that many people oppose evangelism today in the church, possibly because what they see is not the evangelism of the Bible. But when it's the evangelism of the Bible, when it is the preaching of Christ, It is the power of God and God's people will respond to it and they will believe in it. I want to tell you this, my friends. Listen to me. Listen up. True evangelism is going to return one day. One day there's going to be a tremendous change in the attitude of people in the church and in the world. When times get desperate, when there are plagues and famines and people are dying all around us, a cry is going to go up to God and people are going to respond and we're going to see great evangelistic campaigns again. Listen, you can't stop the tide from coming in. No bunch of men or women can stop the tide of God's grace from coming in. It's going to happen. And I testify, I have seen Pentecost. I have seen the power of God. Glory be to God. You were brought up in Australia. You went to Avondale College in Australia. Can you tell us some of your experiences in Australia. Uh, For many years, Beverly and I pastored little country churches. The Australians, being slightly cynical, have made this expression, (laughs) that God made the country and man made the cities and the devil made the small country towns. (laughs) This is because they're so, so hard. And so every year we went from town to town. We were not in a town for more than a year. And we would pastor the church and we would run what they called in those days a mission. When I got to the United States of America, I had people call it an effort. <laughs> I mean, how sad is that? What are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm conducting an effort. Goodness me. We used to call it a mission because we had a mission from God to preach the word of God. Now, let me, let me tell you something. 
Uh, lucky is a word that comes to my mind because Australia has been called the lucky country. Everybody was so good to us. I hear about ministers and other people who become so cynical with the church, but I'm here to testify that God is good and we saw the blessing of God and we felt lucky to be alive. And then we went uh, on the screen here. Now, this is something you won't believe. <laughs> I was once the conductor of a choir. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of a miracle in itself, seeing this guy can't even read music. But I had a good penis, but you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and then we went to the city of Melbourne, one of the greatest cities in the world. We ran this campaign downtown Melbourne and we saw the glory of God. We saw tremendous crowds of people coming to the meetings. Don't tell me it doesn't work, my cynical friend, because we've seen it. And then we moved to Sydney, where by the grace of God, we hired the Sydney Opera House. I don't say this except that I, I'm not saying this uh, boasting in myself. I'm boasting for God. But the Sydney Opera House saw the greatest crowds come to hear the preaching of the gospel in the history of the Sydney Opera House in one of the toughest cities in the world, one of the most cynical cities. And people say, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because people don't work and because people don't have vision and because people don't have faith. But I'm here to testify, mine eyes have seen the glory. First and foremost, I'm not an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring churches, big churches and little churches, Beverly and I together. We moved to the beautiful, beautiful area of Warunga and I was the pastor of the Warunga church. And we saw the power of God in that church they told us was so cold that people could skate to church down the aisles. But we saw the power of God. We were associated with the Sydney Adventist Hospital, which was that great hospital on the campus. Then we started taking young people overseas for evangelistic campaigns. We took them to the great city of Manila, where we saw more than 2,000 people baptized, including six or seven Roman Catholic priests. <laughs> Glory be to God. And people tell me, hey, it doesn't work. The reason it doesn't work is because we don't have faith and because we don't believe in the scriptures. But if we open up our hearts to God, we will see the power of God. Um, what can I say? Uh, then we took the young people to Jamaica over in Kingston and we saw massive, massive crowds of people, thousands of people coming to Christ. I say this to you, my friend, put, a, put aside your unbelief and your cynicism and believe in the God who believes in you. Can you tell us a little about the prisoners on death row in Manila? Well, during this great campaign in the great city of Manila that I love, and I love the Filipino people, we were invited to go to this huge prison. 
they brought us to these great gates where there were men sitting there with, with guns, shotguns. Then they opened the gates and they pushed us in and closed the gates. We had a baptism in that prison and saw hundreds of, of prisoners who, who had been studied with by a group of dedicated Christian lay people, studied from the scriptures. They came to God and we had the privilege of seeing baptized. Then we were taken onto death row. Um, this is a new experience for me. I spoke to a group of young, young people, all young men. They'd been terrorists, they were guilty of killing people. And I preached to them, not on being good enough, but telling them that God is good enough and telling them that Christ had gone to the cross for them. These young men were about to be executed for their crimes. I made an appeal. They came to Christ crying. Dr. Graham Bradford and I led them into this, this room next door where there was a, a tank of water. Graham and I got into the tank. We hugged them. and baptized them. As they came up out of the water, they clung to us and they were crying. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I say this to you, my friend, put aside your unbelief, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a conference official, whether you're a church member, put aside your unbelief and believe in the power of God and let us do something great for God. What would you tell young pastors today? Well, I'd tell young pastors something to keep them out of trouble. I'd say, keep away from big religious centers. Keep out of church offices. Keep away from church bureaucracies. People say, this is a terrible heresy. I say, so be it. It's not a heresy. What I'm talking today is the truth of the Bible. I remember that great saint of God, HMS Richards. He said to the young men who worked for him, he said, boys, keep out of Washington. Preach the word with the Holy Spirit. I say to you, preach the word with the Holy Spirit. How and why did you come to America? In the providence of God. Doors were closing in Australia. We felt the hand of God upon us. And we accepted a call to come to America and we went to the great state of Texas. And in the church there, they had this saying, watch for the providences and God honors faith. And so we came to America because we believed it was in the providence of God. Now, listen to me. In spite of all the bad publicity that America gets, America is still the land of hopes and dreams. Now, I don't want to offend any of my friends in Australia or 
other people around the world. But we came to America because we believed that it was God's will and that God had a special work for us to do and it could only be done in the United States of America as our base. Remember President John Kennedy. Remember him? He said, some people ask the question, why? He said, we say, why not? (laughs) He said, we go to the dream. We go to the moon. He's talking about the great dream. We go to the moon. Not because it is easy, but because it is hard. When we came to America, God had blessed us tremendously in Australia. We'll always be in Australia's debt. But God blessed us. When we came to America, God allowed us to do things and to go places in his providence because America still believes in doing those things that most people say can't be done. How did you find Texas, where you first went in the United States? Well, we love Texas, the great state of Texas, where everything is bigger and better. We will never, never forget the tremendous kindness and the generosity of the people in Texas. We started our television program in Texas. We had fantastic support in Texas. They even got me a pair of boots and a big hat. (laughs) Jim Gilley, Dr. Jim Gilley was a tremendous help and blessing. He opened the doors for us. So we owe a tremendous debt to the people in Texas. Uh, We went to to Russia in the year 1990 and we took some Texans with us. We, We were just getting started here in the city of Los Angeles. We ran this great campaign. Texas stood with us. We thank God for Texas, but most importantly, We thank God for Jesus because Jesus said, what is impossible with men shall be possible with God. And we'll be back after this short break in just a few moments. The devastation in the Ukraine continues. We watch the heartbreaking images of Ukrainian lives torn apart. They are escaping from the sanctity of their homes, looking for safety. We feel helpless, but there is a lot we can do. We can pray that this will end, and we can relieve a small amount of their suffering by sending medicine, clothing, and food. For decades, John Carter and the Carter Report team have been helping the Ukrainian people and bringing the Word of God to them. The means for delivering aid is in place. 
Because of you, the Carter Report has purchased a transport van and is moving supplies where they are needed most. Please send your gifts to the Carter Report at the address on the screen and watch for updates with the Carter Report app. God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.